0: you have to find ways of sustaining yourself financially but like keep keep feeding your soul and it will that feeling of instability will hopefully improve that's one of the hardest transitions I think there is in in, into working in the arts
1: I feel like people who are freelancers who become Parents, or they take on any kind of caring role who have to exist in someone else's process. They have to carry on like they always did, but make their children work around that. Whereas we are completely changing our process in order to make that work around our children.
2: Our next guests on the podcast are Abby and Helen from Rushdash. For me, Rushdash are one of the most exciting companies out there. There are a few theatre companies who have a fan base like that of a football team or a sports team. And what I mean by that is no matter where they play or what they do, people show up. In this chapter, we take a tour through Abby and Helen's journey from graduates trying to choose their own name for their company to making exciting, value-driven activist work to recently becoming mothers. And this is something new to the podcast, It's an area we haven't really touched upon. And something on a personal point that scares me a little bit as a freelancer is the thought that I know I want to be a parent, but is it possible? Will I have to sacrifice my art somehow? Or even worse, will I have to sacrifice time at home? I hope this chapter goes some way to alleviate that fear. Speaking to Abby and Helen doing it themselves was eye-opening. They're both managing to balance being mothers, having a family life, seeing their children grow up and also making amazing work. So I hope this chapter goes some way to alleviate that fear for you, as it did for me. We are talking about the realities of being freelancers, and and in this episode we are talking about the realities of being a mother. We are sweetly interrupted by a small person halfway through and who comes onto the podcast unannounced, but I've decided to keep this in because of the flow of the conversation, but also to to emphasise that kind of unfilteredness of this podcast. So, without further ado, this is Rashdash. Okay, Rashdash, I can't believe we finally got you on the podcast. I've wanted to speak to you guys for a long time. Um, Thank you for your time, first of all, and I'm excited to see where this 45-minute hour conversation goes. So, tradition for all special guests is to tell us about your life story so some pe- some people, most people will know a bit about you, hopefully. Um, but could let's start with Abby. Let's give you a minute um, to tell us your life story in one minute.
1: Okay, I'm going to yeah. press start on my stopwatch. So what's important is my parents are both in the arts. My dad is a musician and my mum is a dancer, and so I grew up in a house. of of they met when they were in a theatre company together so it always felt like something that was possible and I think that that has been a real I've been really lucky like that. Um, I had a really good youth theatre I would grew up in Suffolk and I went to a really good youth theatre and it had text and music and dance and I guess that is what I still do. I then went to university in Hull and I met Helen and that was a really big deal in terms of my creative life and We wanted to work really hard and we wanted to combine the same kind of, yeah, we wanted to kind of make stuff like unconventional musicals. So then when we graduated, we started making work together. We took work to NSDF when we were at university. And yeah, I feel like without Helen, I probably would be doing something quite different. That was my minute. You go, Helen. (laughs) Is it straight on to me? Yeah, go, go. Oh, God.
0: Um, Okay, so I uh, was born in Derbyshire. I then moved to Cambridgeshire when I was one year old. Um, I grew up in a village called Over, weird name. Uh, And my parents, my dad was a lecturer at Cambridge Uni, and my mum was a health visitor. I went to a brilliant sixth form in Cambridge, where I got taught by an amazing drama teacher called Richard Fredman, who has educated quite a few theatre company members over the years, Um, and then I went to Hull University, was very unsure about whether that was a good choice or not, Um, but I did meet many brilliant people, including the wonderful Abigail Greenland. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, Rash Dash began, we um, made our first Edinburgh show with Becky Wilkie, who is the third
1: member of the company, and since then we've been mainly working for Rashdash. Stop, that was two minutes. I can't believe that I actually missed that I met Becky at high school and we weren't, we didn't work together at high school but I just watched her perform in high school music concerts and was like one day I will sing with her. (laughs) It wasn't until uh, later later that we managed to get Becky involved in Rashdash. but yeah.
2: That's a crazy connection. Yeah. Crazy well uh thanks for doing that that was uh that was as entertaining as we've had it i think on the podcast um (laughs) so um so you've both touched on hull there you obviously where you first is that where you first created what we now know as rash dash then is that the did you call it at the time is that
0: (gasps) we did we got there in the end we had a couple (laughs) of terrible names to begin with (laughs) We were. Can you, can you
2: hit us with a few? Or? We, can,
0: we can. We can. In our first NSDF um, submission, I think we were sort of applying incredibly late, as is customary, and <laughs> um, we had to write down a name. So we we wrote down GG Productions because we are Golan and Greenland. <laughs> so that was our first name.
1: And it wasn't until we saw it on their website that we realised that GG Productions had gone somewhere. And we thought, no, make it stop. At which point we emailed them saying, no, we are off kilter. Do you remember that? I do. We were off kilter for a while. Then we looked up off kilter and found out that it's mostly Gaelic music. <laughs> so we were no, like, we right. oh, should probably leave that? Um, I think for one terrible night we were... Hectic shift, shift Which was a bad night That was a bad University night Hectic shift Yes Very embarrassing But I
0: mean Is Rashdash much better Yes Who knows it yeah, But sometimes I'm like
1: <laughs> When people are like You're Rashdash I'm like Apparently so There we go
2: <laughs> Amazing Could you talk us Through the name
1: Rash as in reckless, Dash as in fast. It felt like we were making lots of last-minute reckless decisions. Such as GG Productions. Such as GG Productions. <laughs> but also just the way that we made work. It felt like stuff came together very hectically, very last-minute and very instinctive. And Rash Dash felt like it had kind of movement in it. And movement is a big part of how we work, I guess.
2: Yeah. It's, it works. It's better than... Uh...
1: Hectic shift. It is better than any of the GD,
2: others. GD Productions, love that. Let's
1: just go back to GD Productions, absolutely.
2: <laughs> so when you graduated, what's the situation there? How are you, What can you like cast your mind back in terms of like how are you sustaining yourselves? Like mm. what are you, where are you in the world? What are you doing?
0: Yeah, we're in Leeds most of the time. So we graduate and we manage to scrape the cash together from university means like our university funded us basically to go to edinburgh and it was cheaper in those days
1: in those days we got a ferrins grant from Mm. the university and we took a show to edinburgh with becky
0: but then we we sort of wanted to get a tour off the back of that and that for that to sustain us but we didn't realise that it is actually quite challenging to get a tour with your first show out of university. <laughs> um, we did get a small one, um, but we spent the first year kind of redeveloping that show, working in a bar, doing workshops and sort of other little bits of work here and there for slum Low and a couple of other things. Um, but yeah, mostly working in a bar to pay the rent and then trying to work on our theatre in
1: the day. But in terms of like... Yeah, we worked in the same bar and we worked most of the same shifts because it was a way that we could be like when we're working for a bar, we're working for a bar and the rest of the time. We live together and we also try and start this theatre company together. So it was a very it was a very intense life for those for those three years.
0: Mm. Um, but actually, it was only for the first year that we worked in the bar. Cause it was after that we our next show that we took to Edinburgh was more pop pillar I guess, and and did get a, a tour out of it and we did kind of start to get more work and
1: and that kind of stuff. So it yeah. It was at that point that we started to kind of exist from project grant to project grant from the Arts Council. So from 2010 onwards we would manage to live frugally enough that if we managed to get a bit of funding for a show that year and then that show did all right at box office, we could keep going for a bit with workshops. But in terms of not just the financial sustaining of us, but slung low giving us a home in what was then their first home, the Holbrook Underground Ballroom, the hub, meant that there was a bunch of artists that we could speak to and they would give us advice and we had a desk. We put a gingham tablecloth on it. Everyone thought we were very sweet and funny. Um, for the tablecloth, not in general. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sweet. So sweet. And we would, uh, we would garden and do things like that in order to earn our space in, in their office. Um, so... Yeah, it was that whole team that felt like we didn't feel completely marooned as two graduates that didn't know what the hell we were doing, although mm. we absolutely were.
0: Yeah, cuz I do think graduating is really scary. If it must be
1: scarier now than so ever much before, much, yeah.
0: Like, yeah, and if you're not going into a job, you're just, it's a real like floundery time. And I meet a lot of people because we do a lot of work with students who are graduating and there's a lot of fear around and I just really empathize with it because I massively felt that but in a world that was much more predictable than it is now um, yeah and what just... do you
2: say to those students then what are the what are the kind of key messages that you're obviously it's, it's really impossible to say um case by case but kind of generally yeah. what are the things
0: I guess to kind of hang on in there and if they want to make work just to find ways to keep making it as well as you you know you have to find ways of sustaining yourself financially but like keep keep feeding your soul and it will that feeling of instability will hopefully improve because i think it's a very strange thing when you've grown up in our system of education to be kind of spat out the end of it and not have any structure in your life that's one of the hardest
1: transitions i think there is in into working in the arts and i think that one of the big things i know that i felt at the time and talking to some of the people the the graduates I speak to now feels like imposter syndrome is a huge thing you come out Mm -hmm. and you feel like you're trained for this world and then if you say I'm an artist but you're not actually earning earning any money from being an artist you think am I an artist but you you are (laughs) and I think it's really important to to find that way of yeah of of keeping that self-belief but I also feel like it's really like it's all very well people like us and I mean we're not we're not far on in our careers but like it's all very well saying you know just believe in yourself and keep doing it and that is a massive part of it but I do think it's down to people like us and any artists who feel like they are making their way to keep reaching out and connecting them to other people that they might be interested in and introducing them and helping them build those networks because unless you're getting into rooms and you're being offered opportunities, it's really hard to keep going. Um, so, yeah, I think in in the absence of there being a structure that you can just walk into or a kind of graduate program or, like, funding for graduates, people like us and people who are much more successful than us need to make time for those people,
2: especially And now. be the slung low for you guys. Yeah, and, you exactly. Know, so yeah, what, yeah. what was that what okay so could you just tell like what did that allow you guys to do like, obviously you've got a, you've got a home you, you you feel like connected to someone in the industry but like what what did Slung Low do for you guys
0: like a lot of very tangible things like rehe- giving us rehearsal space in kind to make our first or uh, yeah a couple of edinburgh shows at least two edinburgh shows we made in that space um, office space to feel like we could actually go somewhere and go to work because as we all know it's quite a strange thing and particularly when you're starting out if, if there's sort of no boundary between life and work and you know that that's kind of the world that we all live in at the moment but
1: at that point in time it was really useful to to have that and to have somewhere to go but, they they hired <laughs> us they employed yeah. us whenever they could you know if it was like we're running a bunch of workshops your skills are really relevant here um, they would pay us to do the work that we do and yeah, I mean, what else did they do? I feel like it was cooked us dinner. Cooked us dinner. <laughs> they they would like we're writing an arts council application. We've never written an audience development strategy before. They say here's our audience development strategy. Have a think about this. This is how we structure it. This is how we think about it. Just so helpful when you when you're kind of making your first forays into applying to the arts council. It's really hard. It's really scary. There's a lot of admin. There's a mm. lot. It's yeah. It's having someone else to say it's okay that it's hard here's how we do it is so important
0: and Alan just really encouraged us to keep making our work as well which is partly where that ongoing advice goes to like from me to graduates now because I think we were so confused about how to make it work how to make this lifestyle work that we were sort of doing it all in quite a, uh, a like back to front way of sort of creating education packs for our work to sell to schools and stuff but we didn't even have a work or a practice to really begin with yeah so crazy. he just kind of sat on our living room floor laughed at us and said just like keep just make, make a show, show. <laughs> just because
1: he saw that we had reams and reams of the national curriculum highlighted <laughs> We were highlighting the curriculum to see how we could you know be of service and he just went what are you doing mm. quite right <laughs> so yeah some some useful bits of advice as well
2: so make making a show let's talk about that so um how how do Rashdash begin to make a show you're in the midst of it right now so could you talk us through mm. is it is it different for each show do you have cornerstones of what makes Rashdash rehearsal room special
1: It is different for each show, but there definitely are, there definitely is a pattern. And I think since we made two man show, we've started to find more of a pattern. Um, It definitely starts with picking something that we're thinking about that feels both personal and political um, in that very kind of age old, almost cliched feminist way, but it's absolutely at the centre of our practice. Um, Then after that, we think about it a lot we talk about it a lot we read about it a lot and we also find a company of people to make it with and that's becoming more and more important that that becomes the next part of the process because if we're making autobiographical work we need the people in the room to bring the perspectives that they're bringing and it's we don't just want it to be us all the time saying this is what we think we're actually quite similar in lots of ways we're very different people but in terms of the perspectives and experiences that we've had in life we come from kind of both come from East Anglia we're both the same age (laughs) you know it's a I think my baby might be waking up I'll just I might have to go and get him in a minute um so yeah the next thing is is getting a kind of company together that might bring varying perspectives to the subject and after that you say something Helen what happens after that (laughs) I mean, this process
0: this process was, of course, interrupted by COVID uh, very early on. So we didn't get to go into the rehearsal room for the first two weeks, which was particularly gutting because we've been talking about making this show for years and it really felt like... We need to just get into a room now and start, yes, having some conversations, but also moving together, finding what this is physically, finding what it is musically and all of that stuff. But actually, we couldn't do that. So it took us back to writing and took us back to conversations
1: and thinking, thinking, thinking with our brains rather than kind of moving and playing, which feels like actually the natural way in
0: but then when we got into the room it was kind of you know we we have we always play with whatever is in the space and we had asked for there to be a dishwasher um in this set so within like the first day we're doing lots of kind of improvising with the dishwasher we've asked for costumes so ollie Townsend, the brilliant costume designer has brought us lots of things to play with and again we're finding strange kind of manifestations of what it like what a motherhood costume looks like and we're improvising text based on um some things that we've been talking about and some writing we've been doing and we're involving a sound score from Simone who's the cellist so I feel like there's something about like i feel like someone else has said this recently but i'm just going to say it anyway there's like painting around the edges of something that happens at the beginning of a process when we're in the rehearsal room where it's like like feeling out what feels interesting and we do that for a while and then there's a certain point where we'll go but what's the heart of it and like what's the meat of it and what's the like depth and the richness of
1: this because this is all well and good, but it can't just be this. It feels like until we've made the bit of the show where we think, well, we'd cut everything else in order to keep this in here. We don't know what the show is. And as soon as we've got the thing that even if it's five minutes means we'd cut the other half an hour, we know what we're Mm. doing. And we can start to kind of work around that. And it does sometimes take us a little while to get there.
0: Yeah. And we can, you know, at the point when really we're probably in a bit of a muddle with the show that we're making at the moment, because we've got pieces, we've got things that we really like, we've got things that we're saying that we hope are interesting. We've got a structure that we think might work, but we haven't put all the pieces together yet to know if it does. But we, what we know to be true is that the first time we run it, there are going to be massive questions, massive holes probably, things that need to be cut, new things that need to be inserted. So it's it's sometimes in this kind of a devised process can feel like live drafting like we do a first draft and then but we the written first draft isn't the first draft the first draft is like the standing up first draft
1: yeah but I think what I usually say about our process and I'm going to see if I can remember this because I haven't actually said it for a while well is uh the people characterize the process and the process characterizes the form and the form characterizes the content so in terms of working from the outside towards the inside we know what we think the content is about we know what the subject is that we're taking on but we want to get there we want the form to be articulate and so for example with Oh mother the helen and i aren't very far along in our parenthood motherhood caring journeys because my baby is 17 months and helen's is almost 14 but it's 13 months so they're still really young and we're still working out what the hell we're doing not that anyone ever knows um but it it feels like that f- for for both of us it felt like that first year was a real fever dream where we were kind of uh, working our it, the whole thing was just improvising working from moment to moment and so this show we are trying to to work in a form that feels like a fever dream, where you're in one scene, but just as you think, you know, where you are, the next scene starts and you weren't quite ready for it. And then uh, an image walks on stage and you have no idea what that means. And then it walks off and you got into the next thing. So we're trying to construct the, a form that says, this is how it feels. (laughs) And then we we can think about what the text and what the images are within Mm. that, Um, yeah.
2: So your form is already chaotic you know you're trying to yeah. distill it that's really really interesting could, could we talk about motherhood then one whilst we're on the subject so um what is it like um moving <laughs> moving from a kind of um moving into that as a kind of new phase of life and also being artist and trying to make work because that's difficult
1: yeah it doesn't Yeah, I mean, we can only speak as like, I feel like people who are freelancers who become parents, or they take on any kind of caring role, who have to exist in someone else's process, they have to carry on like they always did, but make their children work around that, whereas we are completely changing our process in order to make that work around our children, which is both fucking difficult and also a complete privilege that we're doing that so I should say that actually we became charter partners of PIPA who is parents in the parents and carers in the performing arts and they have been really helpful in terms of the kind of tools and resources they give you to think about this stuff let alone the actual structures to that you can adopt and and try Um, so they've been really helpful but with this process we have I mean first of all we both went kind of started to dip our toes back into work when our kids were six weeks old which is wild and lots of people wouldn't do it and it was hard in lots of ways but um, we both have well I don't know whether you'd call your partner freelance anymore my partner's a freelancer we could kind of like duck and dive around each other um, which is hard and just means we're having constant logistical conversations which are quite dull Um, but in terms of This process, we have a joint childminder. When we're rehearsing in London, Helen stays with me in London, and the childminder comes to my house, and we leave both kids here, and we go to work, and we come back, and we're working shorter days. We're doing three days a week, and we are doing fewer performances in the performance run. So we've made all these adaptations, and it's hard. It's hard because three days a week, you don't get the same momentum and. I turn up to the rehearsal space and I'm like, what am I going to do today? Because I haven't spent the night before planning it. I've spent the night before doing the thing with my kid that I wanted to do. So, yeah, you can say more things, Helen. Mm. But it feels like the rhythm and the energy is wildly different. (laughs) Mm.
0: It is, and it's much more about... It's just squeezing things in when, when you can is sort of what it feels like, which sometimes I'm surprised at how well that works. Sometimes I'm like, wow, oh my God, I had these like two hours and that thing has just happened because I've been so focused. And there are other times where it feels like you're completely drowning in it. Um, and because we're not just trying to make a show, we're also trying to do sort of big future planning for Rashdash. and yeah, just it's, it's a lot of, running a company and having kids is it, it yeah it is it is challenging it, it is it's just a big old juggle
1: but it's also because we've both done it at the same time mm,
0: which is good in some ways yeah and and probably harder in other ways yeah
2: do you feel a pressure when you get into the rehearsal room because you've got only three days a week is that or do you feel because it's that kind of weird thing where you where you force yourself to be creative sometimes it doesn't work like what how do you get around that
0: I don't actually feel like we're forced to be creative I think I think we're actually being incredibly productive when we're in the room and there's something about how little time there is that I and, and probably me being more tired and stuff I don't have so much capacity for unhelpful thoughts that I used to have like a kind of um worry I suppose like worry about schedule and worry about the future and worry about you know I'm I'm just kind of in the moment trying to make the thing that we're trying to make so that's actually quite helpful sometimes mm. um and I think there is a lot of creativity happening I think it's a real blow that we had to lose those first two weeks to COVID and I know lots of productions are are facing all sorts and who knows that might not be the last thing we face in this show but it's really hard in our kind of process to lose that time.
1: Because we're not going in with a script. Yeah.
0: And and we'd already had to cut two weeks for budget reasons. So all of that sort of stuff is
1: tricky. I kind of (laughs) dread to think what it would be like if we weren't making a show about... Parenthood. Yes, because it feels like we're getting back in where everything that we're experiencing outside the room can kind of feed what we're doing in the room. Whereas if I was making a different kind of show, I might feel I had to shelve it in a way Mm. that I would really struggle with. And then maybe that would be very painful or difficult. But at the moment, if I walk into the room and the last thing I left was my kid who really didn't want me to leave him, I can just be like, well, that's where I'm at, that's how I'm feeling. Um, And also the research element of this show we have we
0: have read some things and we've listened to things and but it but it's not the same thing where you've got to like really learn about something that is completely out of your world like when we made future bodies for example like all of that kind of research that went into yeah science and AI (laughs) and things that are like scary and like complex um, concepts I, I think I would be
1: I would be struggling for like the time to do that. Yes, this. that was a show we made with Unlimited Theatre at home. Yeah, in Manchester. I, whenever I say at home, I, I feel like I need to clarify.
2: Just a quick one as well. It would mean the world if you could leave a review on the podcast. It really does help the podcast reach more people. And that is the aim of this. So relying on you to to do that for me. Thank you very much. Great show and i've done research about you talking about the scientific research and kind of you part of that was learning it for the first time and you know and then that informed the the production right it's the yeah. but this is more of a lived experience oh mother is you you don't need to research in the same way is that, am i understanding right because yeah, you're, yeah. you're going through it and you're you're bringing it to the rehearsal room every day and
1: yeah, yeah. We've, we've tried to do a lot of other reading around the kind of um people who've got really interesting things to say about the politics of care and, um, uh, what am I trying to say, the kind of, um, the way that care can be gendered. Uh, So we've that that kind of thinking and reading has been part of it, as well as thinking about the care economy. But there hasn't been anywhere near as much of it as there has been in previous processes. And, yeah, I mean, I think maybe it would have been more possible if we weren't also writing an NPO at the Mm -hmm. same time, because... Our press night happens to be also the day that the NPO is submitted. So it's a super challenging mm. schedule. At the
0: moment. Yeah. And although we have childcare for the rehearsals, neither outside. of us have got formal childcare outside
1: of rehearsals. And we, we sort of never had it up until this moment. So partly because we're traveling around so much, so we just end up taking them in and out and in and out of it, which didn't feel very sensible. I don't know why I'm justifying that.
2: Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so what, what, what do you do in that in that scenario if you don't have shark as
1: we just share Laps it on evenings
0: and share it between our partners as well um, but yeah that's just another thing that is a yeah part of the complex juggle because there's too much more work than there is time to do it in
2: yeah well, I can't wait to see the show. So, <laughs> that day after the MPO deadline and the press, that's going to be a really nice day, the day after, right?
1: But I sometimes yeah, feel like, horrible. you know, I don't know where you feel this, but when I press submit, I'm like, it's going to feel so relieving. Then you're like, all I can think of are all of the things that I did wrong and that I didn't say. and that... Which is quite like the feeling uh, after press night as yeah. well. I'm oh, like, no. We're waiting I did for that... the reviews. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I did that line wrong and I fell over. <laughs>
1: Maybe maybe we'll have some kind of new perspective because it's been so intense recently that it will just be this kind of sweet relief. I hope yeah, so. We should try. Yeah.
2: Good luck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so from from every well, almost every marketing copy and how you talk about your work, the word that keeps coming up um, is the word activism. Mm, that's
1: interesting.
2: So could you could you talk about that from kind of your your perspective and, and what? uh what is important when making a show because you you spoke you spoke a bit, bit about there but it needs to be something personal and political mm. and i think that feeds into it a little bit but um yeah what what is important when making a show when you choo- or choosing what to make a show about in that sense
1: i think that we want to make more space for people to be more themselves um And I think that's usually where that bit comes in. I think it's about choosing a subject that feels like it's surrounded in or shrouded in, maybe that's what I was trying to say, um, secrecy or shame or um, pain and trying to make space around it and find joy in it. I don't know what else to say other than Mm. that, I guess, because it feels like the subjects we tackle, uh, they don't always feel political with a capital P. But I do feel like, yeah, just taking finding more space to take more joy and more pride and more... I haven't said pride yeah. before, that was always
0: <laughs> And to open up a conversation as well. yeah, Yeah, like I think the idea of, yeah, shame and secrecy are really key because we're often sort of digging to look for the things that might feel kind of tricky to say or pokey to say because they can just sort of enable a conversation and a kind of ah oh, lifting lifting a pressure cap off something um and i think that's the thing that remains consistent in the work is that yeah make yeah making space for people to be themselves that was Kai waking up <laughs> oh he's here
1: Yes, oh.
2: so I'm, I am. I am now <laughs> with a child. Hey, guy. Hey. So, talking about activism, from my point of view, it seems to it seems to take a lot of courage to make work that talks about masculinity or talks about what it means to be a mother or talks about what it means to be human with technology. Like all of these things are massive things a massive topic so like how how do you do it how do you how do you have the courage to is it about you having the breadth of research behind you and going okay we actually know quite a lot about this now
1: I think sometimes mm, I think sometimes uh I've just been writing about this for my mother actually sometimes it's about saying this is personally how I feel and that it's finding that balance, isn't it, between being like, I'm going to talk about myself and that's really annoying for everyone else because I'm going to take this public funding and I'm going to take this space and I'm going to say these things about myself. But it felt like when, for example, Two Man Show, when Two Man Show was at its best, I said the most vulnerable personal thing I could say. And some people came over and found me and were like, I feel like that too. I'm so glad you said it. And so sometimes it feels like that offer can be a really generous offer to make. And we're constantly trying to look to support each other to do that right and and make sure that we're not going oh and I just really want to say this because I'm really feeling this at the moment but it's really navel gazing and narcissistic and not interesting to anyone else so I think sometimes the way I feel safe doing it because I do feel I do feel scared in our processes sometimes I do say what the hell are we doing what do we have to say about this I'm frightened (laughs) but then if I say this is something I'm saying that's personal maybe that's okay. And maybe people will connect with that because some of the people in this process are connecting with that and saying, that's interested. I'm interested in that. Mm. Um, And I think it's having a really
0: supportive team as well. I think the team are like really important knowing that, or hoping that people can be honest with us, but also kind to us. And we, we work with like collaborators that we really trust it, and some of those collaborators we know really well some of them we don't know really well um but it's getting that team right that the atmosphere feels properly supportive um and i think That's
1: hilarious sorry <laughs> i don't know if the microphone will pick it up but... <laughs> my kids just fussing away i'm sorry <laughs>
2: This you is the reality of uh...
1: <laughs> podcasting with a 17 month old on your knee. Yeah. No, no, you go for it. You release it. But release yeah, it but world. I think
0: also we have to put a lot of trust in each other as well. Yeah. To go, is this going to be something that you think resonates with other people, or is this because it's a real like delicate balance that does it? Like is yeah, ha- what the line, the line that you walk with personal material, and I do. I think we do really trust each other to to be honest about that.
1: Yeah. And kind and kind about it mm. when we don't think it's very interesting, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, how do you manage that? Because your your friends as well, like i working with friends is uh can be problematic. I think no? we've
1: been yeah. working together longer than we were. F- friends before we started working together it feels like so part of the DNA of our relationship
0: yeah yeah definitely um
1: I I think that is true um but I remember when we were making three sisters I had just been through a really big painful breakup and some of that was creeping into the material creeping stamping its way in and shouting (laughs) Uh, and I remember there was a bit in in one of the scenes and Helen was like Abby, I really like what you've written here and how you've written It's really great. But I think we might have explored some of this already. And I think to your relief, I was like, absolutely, yes. I feel terrible mm. saying it. I've said enough. Thank you very much. But yeah, Helen gently creeping in and saying, this is very interesting to you right now, I realise. But it might
0: not be the best thing for the show. But that did, I remember that did feel quite high stakes, yeah. that conversation. And yeah. I think it was about where we were at in the process, how pressured everything felt, and also the fact that this, you know, a breakup... You know, I knew that this had, like, a lot of pain attached to it.
1: Yeah, sh- we're not going to go in there because Sylvie's be asleep. I actually think
0: at the moment in this show, I feel like there is less stress and pressure around those conversations. But mm. I think maybe that's because that's where we're at in our lives at the moment. And we don't really have the time to... In this process to sort of... Yeah. I think we're kind, but I don't think, well, I don't feel like I'm needing to tiptoe and I don't think you are either. No. I think, yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. oh. yeah.
2: Can we talk about, um, on, your, on your website, I, something that I'm uh, kind of enamoured with is the, where you talk about your values. Like some of the, whoever's written this, it must be a joint effort, but like, some of these phrases are amazing so uh, i'm just going to read out for the benefit of the the listeners so um these are like some of the things that you say that your work does um so dismantling the patriarchy revaluing the feminine radical softness um could you could you talk about those bits Mm. a bit they're big obviously but like that
0: I remember we had a real, like, laugh and a conversation about whether to say we will dismantle the patriarchy because it's, like, it's an incredibly, um, like, righteous, pompous statement in a way. And we are aware that we are a very tiny theatre company and our impact is limited. (laughs) But at the same time, it kind of felt right to go... This is, you know, rather than go. We will try to explore things that we were just like. Why not be fucking bold about it and just say it? Because that is what we hope to do, even if that is in small ways, you know.
1: But I think I find that. I mean, I like that our values are on our website and that people can see what we what we feel. Um, and actually, it really it came up recently where we were we were interviewing this cellist that we're working with our mother Simone Seals who's just the most fantastic collaborator and we're having such a great time working with them but they said that they'd looked at the website and they'd read the values and they were like yeah my values are really similar I'm in and I just thought oh oh Helen's had to run after Kai who's going to go and wake up Sylvia um but yeah it just felt really um it felt really useful at that point to say this is this is where this is what's at the center of our practice and the other time that I find that we think about our values again, that we come back to them is when we're struggling to make a decision. And that's not just in a show that's through any of the, any of the organizational or big planning decisions, we've got a decision to make and it's between two things. And we say, well, let's look at our values. And often that helps us go, oh yeah, that's the decision because the other one has nothing to do with them. And that's just kind of what we fancy doing right now. And so the values help kind of bring us back to I guess the core of ourselves this is Mm. the one that most delivers those values so let's do that
2: yeah that makes complete sense and the kind of addition to that is if you are starting a theater company at the moment to to know what your values are so you know your whole process is easier and more aligned
1: I think that we went we were existed for a long time hey, before we could articulate those values like that for ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I know I was doing some work with a, an emerging feminist theatre company recently, and I suggested that a task could be to write a manifest manifesto <laughs> slash set of values, not because, not necessarily to write it on your website, but just to um, kind of, yeah, if there's four of you running a company, which was in their case, or two of us running a company... Uh, we run it with Becky as well, but Becky is on maternity leave at the moment. Um, Then it can be a really helpful thing to remind you of what you're for, I guess, Mm. especially when you're taking public money.
2: Mm. And I guess, finally, what do you guys, I I would say kind of what your advice would be to kind of the emerging scene at the moment. I think we've kind of touched upon that a little bit. So, a kind of non arts question. What what uh how do you keep motivated outside of, you know, in the face of big NPO application, in the face of pressure of making show or mm. and the stresses of that come with that? Mm. What what do you guys do outside of things? Well,
0: this is a it's a really interesting question. I think the thing that keeps me motivated to keep doing this is very related to what we do when we're making the work. Mm. And I notice a big difference in my motivation when I am when I don't keep a creative practice going at the same time, I really lose motivation quite quickly. I think possibly even quicker than I did pre-pandemic and pre-baby but there's something about the nature of work at the moment. It feels so kind of precious and I can get quite low quite quickly if I'm just sitting at home feeling like I'm thinking about funding (laughs) applications and I start losing the plot of like why I'm actually doing this. So going back into a rehearsal room and making stuff has given me bag loads of motivation. And in fact, even when we had COVID and we were just having creative conversations and doing bits of writing and stuff I noticed a real change in my mood and a change in my outlook because I was having a consistent creative practice and I think it's more important to me than I realized more important to my general well-being than I realized
1: mm. yeah I mean I... You, <sighs> at the moment there isn't because we just, because I had a baby in the pandemic, my life outside of work has changed a lot. And I guess I, I, yeah, like Helen, I feel like it, for me, it is an arts question because I like, I see other people's work. I see my friends work and any any people I don't know, their work as well. But also, I mean, I feel like the stuff that gets me through lots of the organisational development stuff that we're doing at the moment is getting to be in a rehearsal room. Mm. Um, and it's just such a cliche, isn't it, at the moment? It feels like all theatre people just, you, you bump into a theatre person, you say, it's just so nice to be in a room again. It's just so nice to be in a room again. Um, but I am, um, it's but just it's so true. nice to be in a room again. Mm.
0: And I think we need it for our relationship as well, because <laughs> this is a... More blueberries. Sorry like that the, our partnership is a creative relationship but it's not only that because we're also trying to run a company together but when we're only running a company together it doesn't really work as well, well because well, you say we're not a good business partner but <laughs> we're not brilliant business partners, <laughs> business partners. <laughs> like we're better creative partners than we are business partners but you know i yeah that's kind of interesting as well that the creative stuff has never sort of dropped off in the same way as it has had to do for for, for pandemic and baby reasons. And I think that's why things are becoming more clear.
2: Mm-hmm. That's, that's super concise and, and helpful, I think. And so the, the motivation is to get back and make the work, which is kind of a really nice reason mm. to plow on with all the logistical stuff. Mm. Um, thank you so much for your time that's been super useful um and enlightening and i hope it's shown a different side to rush Dash and that um uh, mm. you might not have talked about before mm. but yeah really appreciate your time especially in this month yeah yeah so thank you so much
1: it was a pleasure to talk to you thanks for yeah, having us on. thanks for
0: inviting us